All right, good morning, Spring Valley Baptist Church family and others who might be joining us as we celebrate together on this Sunday, uh, introducing uh, the sermon uh, that will introduce to you then the, uh, the study in, in your life groups. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be able to do this by virtual means. So even if we weren't experiencing uh, the social isolation during this pandemic time, I think we'd realize that, that today we live uh, in a virtual world. It used to be that we lived in a literal world. We had literal friends and we communicated in literal ways, but now everything is virtual. We've got virtual communication. We've got virtual friends. We've got virtual experiences. You know, like if you want to experience white water rafting without going through the danger of it, you can put on a certain set of kind of goggles and you can experience everything exhilarating in, in a white water uh, rafting trip except getting wet. Uh, I'm grateful for virtual technology because it allows us to stay in touch. It allows us to communicate with one another. Uh, we, are, we meet as a staff twice a week now by Zoom conference on, on Monday mornings and on Wednesday mornings so that we can stay in touch and know what's going on and what we need to cover and what we need to do in the life of the church. Uh, we know that uh, several of our life group classes are meeting by Zoom conference and, and that keeps them connected. There are other means of virtual communication that some of our life groups uh, are using. Uh, this past week, uh, we met with Stewardship Committee by Zoom conference. Tonight, we're meeting with our deacons by a Zoom conference. And I think, um, I think Rick even had a, a virtual choir rehearsal Wednesday night, and I think he did that by Zoom. I'm grateful for that because it allows us to connect and stay connected with one another. But I read something this week that might take it to the extreme. How about a virtual romance and marriage, okay? Uh, a daughter emailed her dad and said, Dearest Dad, I'm coming home to get married soon, so get your checkbook out. As you know, I am in Australia, and he lives in Scotland. We connected on Match.com became friends on Facebook, had long chats on iMessage. He proposed on Skype, and now we've had two months of a virtual relationship. My beloved dad, I need your blessing, good wishes, and a really big wedding. Your favorite daughter, Lily. Well, the dad wrote back, and this is what he said. My dear Lily, like, wow, really? I suggest you two get married on Twitter, have fun on Snapchat, buy your kids on Amazon, and pay for it all through PayPal. And when you get fed up with your new husband, sell him on eBay. Love, Dad. Well, even a virtual relationship, it seems like, can get messy. And messy relationships is the topic that we're dealing with in our life group studies through LifeWays of Bible Studies for Life. I introduced the, 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 the lesson and that topic each week with the sermon. Uh, and it's important that we do that because we have that connection then and you have a greater chance at growing as a disciple in Christ as you attend with your life group, hear the message that introduces that lesson, and then use your five days during the week of extra study time about that subject. Uh, in these six weeks of dealing with this subject of messy relationships, we're gonna look at six biblical traits that God wants us to have and to exhibit in this world because it has the possibility of cleaning up some of the messy relationships we're involved in or see 
and also maybe even prohibiting some of the messy relationships. Last week we talked about the character trait of love and we talked about the new commandment that Christ gave to us as to how we're to love. And if we love the way that Christ tells us to love, the way that God loves and love God with all that we are, we're less likely to have messy relationships. Today we're going to be talking about encouragement. And in your life group, you're going to, you're going to study out of the book of Acts in two different chapters uh, about a great encourager, a man by the name of Barnabas. In fact, his, his name literally means son of encouragement. He had that wonderful gift of being able to build others up with loving words and generous acts. Now, when we think about encouragement, uh, why is encouragement so important? Why is it a trait that God wants us to have and to share? Well, that's because we all need encouragement. Uh, history tells us that on the night that he was assassinated, Abraham Lincoln had a number of personal effects in his pockets, and those were passed down to his granddaughter, Mary Lincoln, who kept them in a small box, and we didn't know uh, what was there, and the public didn't know what was in that until sometime later those items became the possession of the Library of Congress. It was kind of a mixed assortment of things that Abraham Lincoln had on him, but the thing that was most significant to me was he had cut out of, of, of a recent newspaper printing uh, a letter to the editor where somebody had written in and had commended him for his presidency by staying focused on his singleness of purpose. Well, you see, I think we can see that even great presidents need encouragement. It's always great to have somebody encouraging you and cheering you on. Why would we need encouragement today? Well, just think about the times under which we're living. We call it unprecedented. I don't know how many times I've heard that word unprecedented to describe most everything during this time of this coronavirus pandemic. But the reality is we are living under a pandemic. This is a killer virus. So far, no vaccine has been discovered. The economy has become very shaky. Unemployment is at an all-time high. We know we have some people in the life of our church family here who are unemployed, and we're praying for them, and we're praying that jobs will be provided for them. We're in quarantine. We're practicing social distancing. We can't meet together as a church family like we would want to and experience that, that power and comfort of unity. So encouragement would go a long ways to help us get through this time of shutdown, this killer virus during this time of pandemic. Now, uh, a great biblical example of encouragement is not only found in Barnabas and in the book of Acts where he's described to us, but also in the book of Hebrews. Uh, in fact, one of the day's scriptures that you will have the study, I think it's day four, is out of Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 24, that talks about stirring one another up to acts of kindness and good deeds. And so uh, I went to the book of Hebrews, and my favorite passage, and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful book, the writer of Hebrews has done a great job of exalting Christ above all. And it also is written to encourage people who read it, the first people who would read it. They would be encouraged by that. And so I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Great passage. It talks to us about uh, persevering. That's, that's how it's headed in, in my Bible. Let us persevere, call to persevere. So here's what we read from the writer of Hebrews about encouragement in the life of the church. 
He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, that passage there in Hebrew, a call to persevere, is a call for the entire church family, the church body, uh, to be involved in encouraging one another. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage that challenges us all to be encouragers. Now, several things about the, the, the letter of Hebrews. Number one is um, it was written sometime probably between 67 and 70 AD. So that means it was still stand, the temple was still standing at the time that this was written. Uh, we also not sure exactly the group of people who were, were the audience and the recipients of this letter. But obviously, when it titled to the Hebrews, uh, they were Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ. And so they needed to be encouraged. And we'll talk about the reason why in just a few minutes. But when we come to the authorship of the book of Hebrews, that's where we have to admit we really do not know. Uh, all, all through the years of Christianity, it's been speculated as to who might have written uh, this letter to the Hebrews. For a long time, for about probably 12 to 1,500 years, it was attributed to Paul, the letter of Paul to the Hebrews. But it's not typical of Paul. He doesn't identify himself in this letter. He doesn't use some of the same language. He doesn't identify the group of people to whom he is writing. I love the fact that one of the great speculations is that it could have been Barnabas who wrote this letter. And with so much encouragement here in the book of Hebrews, it could quite possibly have been Barnabas who wrote that. And I think it'd be so providential uh, in the action of God that if you're studying about Barnabas as an encourager in your life group, and we come to the passage here in Hebrews that encourages us to persevere, wouldn't it be neat if it was Barnabas who wrote those words? Well, whoever wrote it had some wonderful things to say to us uh, about our responsibility in encouraging one another, the whole body of Christ in the local church, encouraging one another. There are five things here that we need to consider today. Number one, we can come to God with complete assurance. Now remember, uh, this letter was written 67 to 70 A.D., somewhere in there before the destruction of the temple. So the temple was still standing. And remember, these were Hebrew Christians to whom this letter was written. Now, ever since they had been on the face of the earth, they had been taught that the, the earthly presence of God dwelled inside the temple behind the Holy of Holies, and that only a priest was allowed to go in there once a year. But when Christ died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, he, he opened up a new and living way, the writer of Hebrews says, 
to have a relationship with God. That great, heavy, magnificent curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God signifying that now there is a, a new way open for you to come into my presence. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. So you see, it's in this context that the writer is talking about how all believers can draw near to God in worship because worship is the ultimate expression of our love for God. And when we look at some of the things that the writer of Hebrews says, he says that we worship to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. It's so symbolic with that curtain being torn that we find confidence in our salvation in verse 19. In verse 20, we have a new and living way because we have a living Savior. Then in verse 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God, and that's Jesus Christ. And there's so much of that theme of Jesus being the, the high priest in, in the love to the Hebrews. And then in verse 22, he talks about the fact that we have our hearts and our minds and our bodies have been cleansed. So true worship is an exhilarating experience as we come into the presence of this majestic, magnanimous God through Jesus Christ, our mediator. And so we are told then that we can come to God with complete assurance in our worship. And so that's a, that's a form of encouragement for us. Secondly, we're told we can hold on to hope with perseverance. Now, this letter was written during a time when, when the, there was a wicked Roman emperor ruling. And he was killing Christians. And some of these Hebrews who had become believers in Jesus Christ were, were, were literally becoming hesitant or afraid in their faith. They were afraid of the persecution that might come their way. And so some of them were, were beginning to lapse away from Christianity and back into their old way of life, to their old system of beliefs in Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage them to hold on to the hope that is theirs through Christ Jesus. In verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. That's the hope that we hold on to. That's the hope that we profess. And we can hold on to hope with perseverance. We, we live in a, well, we live in a, not only a, a, a virtual world, but we live in a scary world today. And hope is a very valuable commodity when you live in a scary world because it's so rare. And a lot of things around us can be scary, even beyond this pandemic under which we live, and it's claiming so many lives. But at the same time, we can be assured through hope that God is still on his throne, still reigning, and still doing great things. One of the Christian writers that I follow through with uh, several weekly publications a week is Jim Dennison, who has what he calls the, the Dennison Forum. Uh, and he's a man well-versed in Scripture, and so is his wife, Janet. She has her own publications as well. Uh, but uh, Jim Dennison has that un unique ability to be able to take something that's happening in the real world apply it to scripture and interpret it in terms of how God is moving on the face of the earth and how God is working literally around the world. 
Uh, several years ago, he wrote a little book about being hopeful, and he mentions four things that, that give us signs of hope that enable us to hold on and persevere because of what God is doing. Number one, he assures us that God is working around the world, and he points out that a century ago, China was one of the most secular nations on earth, unchristian, and today there are more than 130 million Christians there. He also says a century ago, there was not a single born-again Christian in Korea, and today in South Korea, one-third of the population are evangelical Christians, and there are some of the largest congregations in the world there in South Korea. Second thing he points out is that how God is working among the Muslims in the world. More Muslims, and this was startling to me to understand this, that more Muslims have converted to Christ in the last 15 years than in the previous 15 centuries. Wow, God is doing a great movement among especially the African Muslims who convert to Christ at the rate of over 6 million every year. Then the third thing he points out is that God is working in America. And one of the things he points out is the number of megachurches. Megachurches is a church that uh, is characterized by running about 2,000 in attendance. In, in 1960, there were less than 30 megachurches. In 1991, there were 260 megachurches in the United States. And today, there are about 1,600 megachurches in the United States. So the light of Christ is still shining bright in the church in America today. And then the fourth thing about hope that he gives to us in that little writing is this, that God is still the ruler of the universe. And he points out in Isaiah 40 that God is so majestic and so magnanimous and so powerful that he measures the universe with the span of his hand. Imagine that. As vast as this universe is, God can measure it in the span of his hand. His power and his wisdom are beyond our comprehension. When everything else will pass away, the word of God will never pass away. He is at work, and we can hold on to that hope because it inspires us and it encourages us in the world in which we live. The third thing that the writer of Hebrews points out to us as we seek to persevere and to encourage one another is literally the fact that we can motivate one another with kindness. In verse 24, the writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Isn't that interesting? To spur one another on to love and good deeds. During this um, shelter in place at home time, uh, we have discovered how isolated we can literally become. Uh, and the world of technology has something to do with it. But I think social distancing has also reinforced how we've moved from a world of personal touch uh, to the distancing of isolation and sometimes indifference. And acts of kindness are greatly needed. Acts of love and good deeds are greatly needed. I read something this week that says out of all the bulk of mail that's delivered every day by the United States Postal Service, personal letters and cards are only 4% of all the mail that's sent and received in America. Isn't that something? So why not take some time this week, maybe, to drop a note or send an encouraging card 
to somebody you know who might be living in isolation, maybe somebody who's living all alone during this time of isolation. They are really isolated. Something else I read this week that, that really amazed me is about how the telecommunication providers uh, began to ramp up in the expectation of this isolation during this pandemic so that they would be prepared to carry all the bulk of all the, the social media and the internet that would be needed. But what came as a great surprise to them was the number of voice calls being given and used every day. So using the phone to talk with somebody has been in a steady decline for years because people are using email and texting and Twitter and all other kinds of things to communicate. But during this time of this virus shutdown, that has been dramatically reversed. Verizon noted it's now handling about 800 million calls per day. Not texts, not tweets or anything, but 800 million calls per day. And the interesting thing is that's more than the number of calls that are made on Mother's Day, which is typically um, the year's busiest day for phone calls. Not only has the number of calls increased, but the length of calls is up by 33% because people now are valuing more than ever the voice-to-voice -voice communication. I think we're longing for that personal touch. Maybe we'll discover that in a time of isolation during this pandemic time, that we, we need that personal touch. And sometimes a personal touch can be the act of kindness that somebody needs to encourage them in their life, what they're experiencing in their world, and in their walk with Christ. But there are other ways that we as a church can reach out to be the church in our community through acts of kindness as well. As it, we, we are deliberately planning, having a vision for trying to join together and encourage and support our community. First, uh, we're financially supporting the feeding of those in need through the Richland Two School Two Backpack Program and the Christian Assistance Bridge located in Blythewood. Both of those organizations help meet the basic physical needs of families in our community. And secondly, on an individual level, uh, we've encouraged each of you to put together blessing bags. You can do it as a family, you can do it as an individual and then distribute them to the neighbors in your neighborhood as an effort to encourage them and, and build bridges so you can talk about Christ and have gospel conversations with them. And then finally, we're seeking to organize a team of people to serve our city during this pandemic time with the task of grocery shopping and helping buy other things that people might need in our community who are most vulnerable. Now, if you would like to join on any of those efforts, I encourage you to do so. And you can go to the site, website, uh, www.springvalleybaptist.com backslash neighbors and get connected. Many, many different ways during this time that you can encourage somebody through acts of kindness and love and good deeds. And we all need that sense of encouragement. All right, here's the fourth thing that the writer of Hebrews said as we accept this responsibility of encouragement. And that is that we can gather together with expectancy. In verse 25, the writer says, let us not give up meeting together 
as some are in the habit of doing. Uh, gathering together on a regular basis with other believers in Christ is a good habit to get into. A habit is something you do regularly, and it needs to be more than simply a habit for us as believers in Christ to, to join together on a regular basis, weekly, hopefully, and, and worship together with other believers in Christ. Because we need to join together. We need to find that, that strength and that power that comes to us uh, as we worship together, lift our voice in praise to sing praises to God and to call on His name. And, and there's a sense of, of encouragement and solidarity there when we come together and worship God on a regular basis. But we realize in the times in which we live today, and evidently it's not new, I don't know how often they measured the attendance of people uh, uh, in that Hebrew church back then, but we, we know in recent years we have discovered that regular attendance in worship time now is only once a month. So I don't know what they had lapsed into doing, but the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to meet together and to do so on a regular basis, habitually, with expectancy. Now, that part of the scripture might seem to be a little bit at odds since we cannot gather together physically because of being uh, in, in quarantine or social isolation during this pandemic. But it's reminded to us that we need, we need to cherish the opportunity and the privilege that is ours because of what Christ did through his sacrificial death and opening up that new and living way to come into the presence of God and, and to worship him freely. And that we can do that with a sense of expectancy. You see, maybe God will use this quiet time and this, this isolated time to teach us a greater understanding about worship and the need for corporate worship on a regular basis in our life. Many people are watching online on Sundays. And we also plan to live stream our services even when we can come back and all meet together. One of the fears that I have is that we've gotten kind of comfortable about Sunday mornings watching uh, the time, watching the sermon, uh, and, and having the life group lesson, really, uh, in a casual, relaxed atmosphere, you know. I encourage you to get up and get dressed like you were going to come and meet here. Uh, but some of you have said, hey, you know, that's kind of neat. I like, I like sitting around in my, in my bedroom shoes and enjoying just watching it there. I don't have to pull forth a lot of effort. I hope that doesn't carry over when we can meet together. And I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later on today in, in another message. But we need to remember that there needs to to be that habitual, regular meeting together and taking that seriously. And we need to do so with a sense of expectancy that we are here to worship and encounter God, the living God, because he has something to say to us that will encourage us through that week until we meet again the next week. And as I would say to you, we need to be spiritually prepared for that encounter with God. We need to do more than just show up, but we need to be spiritually prepared for that encounter with God. You need to have a devotion time, a quiet time, a prayer time to prepare you and your family for what you will experience in the time of worship. And I believe if you would do that on a regular basis that you would find our times of worship to be more meaningful to you and spiritually enriching than ever before. So show up prepared. Pray for God to open your heart to what he has to say to you. And remember, we don't just go to church, we are the church. And that's great encouragement for us to know, that we can gather together with expectancy. 
And then the fifth thing that the writer of Hebrews says is, we can encourage one another with urgency. This is where he literally uses the word encourage. We can gather together to draw near to God in worship, but we can also encourage one another. Verse 25 says, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, we know the need for encouragement and what that means that we can encourage people by a multitude of ways. But what does he mean by and all the more as you see the day approaching? That day he's talking about is that great glorious day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the return of the Lord that we as believers should be eagerly anticipating and looking for and longing for. That's what he's talking about. And he's talking about the fact that we need to be encouraged in one another, in the body of Christ, so that we can be prepared and we can be expectantly, with urgency, waiting and looking for that return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the early church gathered together at, at its very infancy, they didn't greet one another with praise the Lord. They didn't greet one another with hellos or good mornings, but they used the word maranatha. And it comes together from two Aramaic words put together, which literally means the Lord is coming. And it's used many times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was writing in the last few verses of 1 Corinthians 16, and he uses that word Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. And so the believers were constantly reminding one another, the Lord is coming. And they encouraged one another with that, with a sense of, of urgency and we need to do the same thing. So today we've been talking about encouragement to deal with messy relationships. And messy relationships can be messy because of a variety of reasons. And there's liable to be great discussion in your life group classes as you meet following this. But we're called to be encouragers. We're called to be like, like Barnabas, to be an encourager. So the question is then, let's rate ourselves. How, how encouraging am I? That's the question you need to ask. And i got ten questions for you to see how you answer these, either yes or no. Number one, do my words of encouragement outweigh my words of criticism? Number two, am I uplifting to be around? In other words, do people like to be around you or do you bring people down when they're around you? Number three, do words of praise come easily from me? Number four, would those who know me best consider me to be an encouraging person? Number five, do I pass along good news and put the halts on gossip? Number six, would I rather give praise or receive praise? Number seven, do I focus on the positive qualities of other people? Number eight, can I think of someone who needs encouragement right now? Number nine, this is a tough one. Do I pray for the difficult people in my life? And number 10, have I been diligent to encourage those closest to me? My spouse, my children, my students, my co-workers, my close friends. 
Now, grade yourself on this. If you answered yes to eight or more of those 10 questions, you are an encourager. You are well on your way to be a great encourager. If you answered yes to only seven or less, then you need to try a little bit harder. And I'm grateful for Ray Pritchard and his Keep Believing Ministries who shared uh, this, um, what he called an EQ test. And that's your encouragement quotient test uh, in, for his readers. Now, let me close by, uh, by suggesting three applications that you can make from this message and your lesson today. Number one, remember to pray for and contact your one. Don't forget that we had focused on who's your one, identifying somebody in your life who does not have a personal relationship with God, and you begin to build bridges with that person so that you can share the gospel of Christ. During this time of social isolation, be a great time. Call your one. Send an encouraging note. Do something that can open the door for a gospel conversation. So pray for and contact your one this week. Second suggestion is start every day with an encouraging word to those who are the closest to you. You got your family maybe is gathered around you most of the day. Encouraging words to begin that day would go a long way towards having a great day in your household. And then number three, do an act of kindness. A phone call, an encouraging note, make a blessing bag. Maybe you want to do something for everybody on your side of the street in your neighborhood or for your neighbor on either side of you. Create a blessing bag. Leave it out for them with something encouraging. Now, we've talked about being an encourager today. I want to share with you the most encouraging news you could hear. The most encouraging news you can hear is that God loves you. And if you are not in a personal relationship with God right now through Jesus Christ, then I would urge you to open your life to him. And you would ask Christ to come into your life and be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life so that you can know him in an intimate way and have that personal relationship with God. Let me encourage you to make that decision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example that you give to us through Barnabas and through others in the scriptures who were people of great encouragement. Uh, we thank you that though you also call us and challenge us and give us the opportunity as the entire body working together, not only to encourage one another, but to encourage our community and those around us in many, many different ways during this time of great need for encouragement. Father, we thank you for your eternal presence that gives us hope and comfort and encouragement. And as followers of you and believers in Jesus Christ, may we be willing to be encouragers in whatever way you gift us and call us to do so that we can encourage those around us in the same way that we have been encouraged. We pray this in faith through Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen.